Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Nebraska and Iowa. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Carrie Farver was the kind of person who made sure you knew your worth and would hype you up at any moment. Carrie's friend told ABC News, You noticed Carrie when she walked into a room. She had a laugh. She had a smile. You couldn't help but notice her. You were drawn to her. She was wildly smart, had an awesome sense of humor, and was known for being the best mom there was. Her son, who I'm going to call Nick, was the center of her universe. She'd given birth to him about three years after studying at the University of Kansas and decided it was time to finish college and get her degree. She enrolled at Iowa Western Community College and got her Associates of Applied Science degree. With her degree, she settled down in Macedonia, Iowa and landed her dream job as a computer program analyst at West Corporation in Omaha, Nebraska. Sure, it was in another state, but it was really only about an hour's commute. By the fall of 2012, 37-year-old Carrie was thriving. She had a home she loved, a job she loved, and a really strong bond with her now 14-year-old son, which is a feat in and of itself. Life was going as perfectly as it could. The only thing missing was a love interest, but that's where Dave comes in. Carrie walked into a local auto repair shop that Dave managed, and the rest was history. They had one of those instant connections where you lock eyes and you suddenly become really aware of your heartbeat, so Dave asked Carrie if she would go on a date with him, and obviously she said yes. Carrie had been single for quite a while at that point, but according to court records, Dave had just recently gotten out of a long-term relationship with a woman named Amy. Dave and Amy had two kids together, so the breakup certainly wasn't easy, but the two did manage to end things on pretty good terms. That being said, the fact that he had just gotten out of something so serious, Dave wasn't exactly looking to jump back into something similar. He was open about dating multiple women, which included another 37-year-old woman named Shanna Liz Gallier. Shanna only went by Liz. Dave and Liz had met on an online dating site and had been seeing each other for about four months or so when Dave and Carrie met. Just like he had done with Carrie, Dave made it really clear to Liz that he wasn't looking for anything serious and would be seeing other women. 
That's definitely not something a ton of women want to hear, but Dave let the women decide if that was something they were okay with, and if not, he understood and would walk away. Carrie and Dave went on their first date on October 29th. He took her to a restaurant in Omaha, and there were some immediate hiccups. Dave's phone was blowing up with texts and calls from Liz, and initially he tried to ignore them, but that was honestly kind of impossible due to the sheer volume of them. So eventually he let her know that he was on a date and couldn't talk. With that taken care of, Dave was able to focus on Carrie, and I think even he was kind of surprised at how he felt about her. The conversation flowed, it was just so organic, so not wanting to end the date, he eventually asked her if she wanted to go back to his place. He lived in an apartment nearby and she didn't want the date to end either, so she said yes and they headed back to his apartment. Unfortunately, court records state that shortly after they got there, Text and Liz showed up in the flesh and started ringing his doorbell. This was not an ideal situation at all, and Dave really wanted to focus on Carrie, so he left her in his apartment so he could go down and talk to Liz, who was a whole ass mess at this point. She was crying and saying that she wanted to get her stuff from Dave's apartment. Translated into reality, she was absolutely butthurt and beside herself, thought she could convince Dave that he loved her and only her, and when that didn't happen, she needed attention and a way to ruin his date and size up her competition. You know, allegedly. Dave was in a weird spot here. He cared about Liz, but he didn't want what she wanted, and he had Carrie up in his apartment. He weighed his options and left Liz down at security while he went upstairs to explain to Carrie everything that was going on. Naturally, Carrie decided this was a very big mess, and it was probably best if she just left, so she did. On her way out, she passed Liz, got in her car, and drove away. With Carrie gone, Dave did let Liz into his apartment to get her stuff, and she was still very obviously upset at this point. It comes as a shock to no one that Liz wasn't interested in simply getting her stuff and leaving. She lingered for longer than Dave was interested in entertaining, and eventually he asked her to leave. Once Liz was gone, he called Carrie to see if he could come see her because there was something about her. Carrie told Dave that he could see her if he wanted to drive all the way to her house in Macedonia, and for him it was a no-brainer. Dave got in his car, made the drive, and actually wound up spending the night with her. In the following weeks, Dave and Carrie spent a lot of time together, but he also continued seeing Liz because those toxic girls always find a way to stick around. And with that kind of toxicity comes some really weird shit. On or around November 9th or 10th, someone vandalized Carrie's SUV with spray paint while it was parked in Macedonia. Now, we're listening to this thinking obviously Liz did it, but for a really long time, no one came to that conclusion. Carrie was completely unaware that she was in some kind of competition with Street Tears Liz because Carrie was a normal person who was focused on her own life. Around the same time of Graffiti Gate, Carrie got a work assignment that was going to require a week's worth of really long hours. Since Dave lived near her office, he offered to let her stay at his place to save her that hour's drive to and from work every day, so obviously she said yes. While she was there, she arranged for her son to stay with her mom and stepdad. On November 12th, the first day of her assignment, Carrie went to work and then spent the first night at Dave's place. 
The following morning, Dave left for work at around 6.20 a.m., and at that point, Carrie was already up and working on her laptop. There was absolutely nothing about that morning that would have hinted to him that it was the last time he would ever see her. Now, I don't usually do this, but to prevent any confusion, I'm going to give a major spoiler alert up front. Liz killed Carrie that morning. We all kind of knew where this was going, but what Liz did after that is something I have never seen before. A kind of dedicated murder catfish that can only come from an obsessive homicidal nutbag. You guys know that after Dave left that morning, Liz killed Carrie, but no one else knew that for three years. So keep that in mind as we continue. According to court records, at 9.54 a.m. on the morning Carrie was killed, her Facebook account unfriended Dave. Later, Liz made a fake account using Carrie's photos and information from her original account, And on the fake account, Carrie claimed that her old Facebook had gotten hacked, so she had to make a new one, a new one that Liz could have complete control over. She also went ahead and created fake dating profiles for Carrie as well. A few minutes after unfriending Dave, Liz used Carrie's phone to send a text to him. Even though she had just severed their online friendship, Liz impersonating Carrie asked Dave if he wanted to move in together. Dave was thrown off by this because he thought he'd made it pretty clear that they were keeping things casual, so he responded with one simple word, no. 22 seconds later, Carrie's phone responded with, fine, I hate you, I'm dating someone else, I don't want to see you anymore, go away. When Dave got home from work that evening, Carrie was gone. Dave was only one part of this story, though, because remember, Carrie was only supposed to be there for a week and only because of her work assignment. Her son had been staying with her parents, so Liz had to come up with a plan for that half of her life, too. To solve that problem, court records show that Carrie's phone texted her mom, Nancy, letting her know that she had found a new job in Kansas. Liz clearly didn't know shit about Carrie because if she did, she would know that her job was her dream job and all she had ever wanted. She never would have left it and her mom knew that. This didn't make any sense. Over the next couple of days, Nancy would ask Carrie questions about picking up her son for an upcoming family wedding, but the woman whose entire world revolved around her son never once replied. That coupled with the fact that Carrie and her mom would usually talk every single day, her mom knew in her gut that something wasn't right. On November 15th, Carrie's phone texted her employer, letting them know that she was resigning. Not in an email, in a text. But it gets so much twistier here. In her resignation text, she explained that she was sending over a woman named Liz Gullier as her replacement. Later that day, Liz went online and applied for Carrie's position. As if that wasn't crazy enough, on that same day, Carrie's phone started bombarding Dave with texts again with things like, I hate you, you've ruined my life, and you're a terrible person. 
They were bizarre since she and Dave weren't that serious and had never made any actual future plans together. But Dave later told ABC News that in that moment, he thought, I don't need this, I dodged a bullet. Carrie's week of long hours was only set to be from Monday the 12th to Friday the 16th, and a lot of crazy shit had gone down that week. When the 16th rolled around and she didn't stop by her mom's house to pick up her son and she missed her half-brother's wedding, Nancy knew that gut feeling was right and officially reported Carrie missing. While filing the report, she did let police know that Carrie had been previously diagnosed with bipolar disorder and was taking medication for it. It's certainly pertinent information, but my body is already cringing because it makes me worry that the police are going to try and explain away her disappearance as some kind of bipolar episode, and it seems like I wasn't too far off there. Even though Carrie was taking her medication, the department reportedly told her that it's common for someone with bipolar disorder to stop taking their medication and act erratically. Unfortunately, with the insane texts that Liz was sending from Carrie's phone and the abrupt change in behavior as a daughter and mother, it almost was kind of plausible. For the next three years, the police didn't investigate Carrie's disappearance any further. There were no press releases, no news articles, nothing. On the same day Carrie was reported missing, Liz used Carrie's debit card to buy items totaling $395 worth of very random shit at two different discount stores in Omaha. And when I say random shit, I'm talking a black and white floral shower curtain, among other things. And it just kept going. On November 17th, Carrie's phone sent a text to her mom, which was a photo of a $5,000 check. The check had been made out to Carrie and signed by Shanna Golier, which again is Liz's real name. Along with the picture of the check, she texted and asked Nancy to let Shanna into Carrie's home to collect a bedroom set that Shanna had purchased from her. Nancy, being an elite member of the I'm Gonna Find Out unit, saw the red flags waving here and immediately contacted the police. According to court records, police found the text strange enough that they pinged Carrie's phone and found that in the early morning hours of November 18th, her phone was pinging in Omaha at a location they would later realize wasn't far from Liz's home. Now, I'm pretty sure that Carrie was supposedly quitting her dream job and leaving her child behind for a new random job in Kansas, so Omaha seems a bit strange, and police did go out and search for Carrie's phone, but they never found it. On November 23rd, 10 days after Carrie was killed, Liz called Dave to tell him that she had been vandalized. The words, whore for Dave, had been spray painted inside of her garage. And it seems a little crazy that someone would risk breaking into your house just to vandalize walls that no one could see in your dusty garage. But I digress. Liz took her whore for Dave drama to the police along with several other incidents of vandalism that happened to not only Liz, but Dave as well, over the next year, 12 months, you guys. According to court records, the incidents usually included calling Liz a whore, and whenever a new incident happened, Dave, Liz, or both of them would get messages from Carrie conveniently claiming responsibility. The whore painting did tend to occur, however, when Dave was losing interest in Liz because trauma bonding. The vandalism would bring them back together and they'd reminisce over their fear and dislike of Carrie. 
In addition to the vandalism, Dave got a metric butt-ton of harassing texts and emails that all seemed to be coming from Carrie. They came from roughly 30 different phone numbers and email accounts, and Dave grew to expect around 50 to 60 emails a day, along with freakishly frequent texts and missed calls. To make painfully clear the dedication that went into this nonsensical insanity, between November of 2012 and December of 2015, Dave got about 15,000 emails and over 25,000 texts in total. Dave changed his number over and over and over again, but somehow Carrie, whom no one had seen or spoken to on the phone, kept getting his new number. According to ABC News, the messages started out as jealous-slash-hate-filled rants, but over time evolved into a more spiteful and threatening tone. Messages would include U.S.-esque statements like, My favorite thing to do is stand outside and stare at you. I hate you so much that I want to drive a knife in your heart and we belong together, Dave. As time passed, Carrie started stalking Dave too, or so he thought because, you know, that's impossible. He told ABC News that one night he was wearing a blue shirt, sitting in his lazy boy chair with his feet up watching TV, when all of a sudden he got a text saying, I see you. You're sitting in your chair with your feet propped up wearing a blue shirt. Naturally, the accuracy of that text freaked him out a little bit. At another point, Dave got an email from who he thought was Carrie, and it was a threat to harm Liz. The email included an attachment, which was a picture of a woman tied up in the trunk of a car. Dave called Liz, who assured him she was A-OK, but I can bet she set up a timer to see how long it took him to check on her. Carrie's emails would go so far as to send Dave a fake obituary for Liz, which means that someone literally sat down and took the time to create a fake obituary in the first place. Dave told ABC News that it was really common for him and Liz to be sitting on the couch together and have both of their phones start blowing up with text messages and emails from Carrie. Liz obviously wasn't sending them in that exact moment because she wouldn't even be touching her phone, so it never occurred to Dave that all of this might have been her life's work. But all of this extended so far past just Liz and Dave. Carrie's family got texts too. Her son Nick got messages from Carrie saying that she was headed to Kansas and would pick him up, but she never did. And whenever Carrie texted her mom, Nancy would ask her to call her so she could, you know, hear her actual voice, but obviously that never happened. Nancy told ABC News that the text turned mean and angry, telling Nancy that she wasn't a good mom and that she was too controlling, but Nancy did have that inkling that these were not coming from her daughter. They were a grammatical nightmare and Carrie was smart and she gave a shit and these texts were clearly written by a dumbass. Carrie was never once seen in person. She missed her own birthday, her son's 15th birthday, Thanksgiving, and her dad's funeral. Everyone who actually knew Carrie knew that something was very wrong here and it was not her mental health. Liz and Dave went to the police in January of 2013, and according to court records, it was during that same month that Dave spotted Carrie's SUV parked near his apartment when he was getting home from work. He was so startled that he actually took a picture of the license plate and sent it to the Omaha police. 
Crime scene techs came out and examined the vehicle, primarily looking for fingerprints, but there weren't many. As we all know, you drive a vehicle by putting your hands on the steering wheel, occasionally touching the gear shift or whatever else, but the only fingerprints police found were on a pack of mints in the center cup holder. Kinda sounds like someone wiped the car down, but it gets better. The prints on the mints weren't Carrie's or anyone else's in the entire FBI's database. We could hold out hope that the absence of the missing owner's fingerprints might prompt police to take her disappearance more seriously, but it did not. May Liz's halitosis eventually become her criminal undoing. Liz might have gone to the police about her harassment, but she certainly wasn't ready to stop being the perpetual victim she needed to be to maintain Dave's sympathy and attention. She continued to impersonate Carrie online and through messages, and in April, she made a post to Carrie's Facebook that read, So now the herpes-infested whore is going to hide from me. Can't be a woman and stand up for stealing me man. God will punish all whores. Me man, like she's after her fucking lucky charms. Anywho, in another post, she wrote, She keeps saying that Dave still loves her and that she is the love of his life that she slept with him a few weeks ago. How crazy can you be to text someone such lies? If the other party won't back you up, this is to show how crazy the girl is. And those are all words, but you're as lost as I am on that one. The following month, she posted, This is the real Carrie Farver. I need to be alone right now. People just need to give me space for right now. Uninterested in space, she posted the next day saying that Liz Golier was a quote-unquote Ho that took my boyfriend away from me, she will be punished for taking my man. A whopping 0% of the post sounded like anything that would ever come out of Carrie's mouth, and by mid-May, people were starting to ask a lot of questions. On May 13th, Carrie, aka Liz, posted a response to those people saying, I have answered enough questions to prove myself to everyone. I am done. You can't either believe I am your daughter, mother, sister, and friend, that you have no your whole life, or you can just leave me alone. I am not missing. I just don't want to come home right now. Very convincing. Bravo. Carrie ended the post by apologizing for hurting everyone by disappearing and that the reason was, quote unquote, I needed to do this for me. She wrote, sorry, and I hope someday you can forgive me. While all of that was going down publicly, Carrie's son Nick slid into her messenger and Carrie replied to him saying, Hey, little man, how are you? Nick came at her with three distinct questions to confirm her identity. His middle name, the name of their first dog, and the name of his best friend. You will be shocked to hear that Carrie did not even attempt to reply. Carrie, again, being Liz. And while her account wasn't responding to her son, she was reportedly sending messages to Dave's ex, Amy, you know, the mother of his children. Some of the messages even mentioned that Amy was being watched, and at that point, Dave was so shook up by all of this that he went out and bought a 9mm Smith & Wesson pistol. In early August of 2013, the storybook romance of Liz and Dave ended. Shocking, I know. Hold your gasps. 
On August 17th at 8.14 a.m., Liz's home caught on fire. When firefighters arrived, they found smoke inside the home, but the fire was put out at that point. Every single one of Liz's pets, however, including two dogs, a cat, and a snake, were all found dead in that fire. Investigators found at least six different points where the fire had been started and accelerants, meaning that fire had been set on purpose. According to court records, Liz told investigators that she and her kids had left the house at around 3 p.m. the day before and had gotten back at around 7.30 a.m. the next day. When they got back, it was on fire. Naturally, she told investigators that she believed that Carrie was behind it. And just like that, she and Dave got an email from Carrie taking responsibility for it. Liz's sadistic pet-killing fire plan worked, and she and Dave trauma-bonded and got back together. The harassment, vandalism, and horrifying incidents kept going throughout 2013 and 2014. By the time spring of 2015 came around, Carrie had been missing for two and a half years. At that point, hero detectives Jim and Ryan from Pottawatomie, Iowa, decided it was time to give all of the fucks. They reviewed Carrie's original case file and came to the very obvious conclusion that Carrie was definitely missing and her bipolar disorder had nothing to do with it. They quickly focused on Liz Gullier, who they realized hadn't been a part of Carrie's life before her disappearance, but had somehow become a focal point of harassment from Carrie. Knowing Dave and Liz's phone data had been downloaded back in 2013 when they reported all of this harassment, the detectives asked a digital forensics administrator to go through all of it and see what he could find. Had anyone done that two years prior, they would have solved this two years prior. Data from Liz's phone showed that she had made six calls to Carrie's landline between November 6th and 7th of 2012, which was the week prior to her going missing. I guess Liz didn't want Carrie to know it was her calling all of that damn time because she had used star 67 to hide her number. Isn't it interesting how a stalker wants to know everything about you, but will use star 69 so you know nothing about them? And that's weird and all, but if the only interaction Carrie had ever had with Liz was Liz walking past her out of Dave's apartment building, how in the fuck did she get Carrie's number? And what was the reason she would have had to call her at all, let alone six times, and then go through the effort to conceal her number anyway? Aside from the calls, detectives found a picture of Carrie's SUV taken on December 24th, 2012. That would have been more than a month after Carrie disappeared and well before Dave ever saw it parked near his apartment. They also found that photo of the woman tied up that had been sent from Carrie to Dave, and that photo had been taken by Liz's phone, and the woman in the picture itself was Liz. So I want to get this straight here. The picture of the woman tied up was literally a picture of Liz, and when Dave called her to see if she was okay, she was 100% okay. And there was no explanation of how anyone ever got a picture of her tied up in a trunk. All I can do here is question that and move on because I have no answers. It's insane. Ryan and Jim knew they were onto something, so in May of 2015, they met with Carrie's mom, Nancy. They let her know that they believed her when she said that Carrie was missing and that something had happened to her. 
Nancy told ABC News, That was the first time anybody of an authority position had told me that. I honestly felt like something was going to happen now. Nancy told the detectives about that text she had gotten after Carrie's disappearance, the one with the picture of the check asking her to let Shanna Gallier inside to get her bed set. Immediately, the hairs on the backs of the detectives' necks stood up because they knew that Liz's real name was Shanna. And Liz had certainly never told police that she had bought a bed from Carrie for $5,000. Detectives were hot on Street Tears Liz's trail, so they decided to compare her fingerprints to the prints found on the mint container in Carrie's car. And duh, they were a match. But while they were investigating, some Purge-esque shit happened. Dave just so happened to realize that the 9mm pistol he had bought for his protection was missing. He immediately reported the stolen gun to police, but what happened to it wouldn't be known for another couple of months. In mid-November of 2015, Dave ended his on-again, off-again relationship with Liz for the 11th time because he actually wanted a more serious relationship with his ex, Amy. They had started dating again, and I'm going to bet that that was not on sadistic Liz's bingo card, but she had a plan. On December 4th, Liz went to the police to report that Amy had been sending her harassing messages through both Facebook and text. Liz said that she wanted to file a complaint, so detectives Ryan and Jim decided this was their opportunity to go to her house and get an actual interview under the guise of giving a shit about her Amy story. According to ABC, Liz told them that she now suspected it was Amy the whole time and not Carrie who had been behind her and Dave's harassment over the past three years. Detective Ryan asked if he could download the messages from Amy on Liz's phone and was genuinely surprised when this dipshit said yes. Liz also mentioned that she thought it was Amy who had taken Dave's very specific 9mm Smith & Wesson, and it was weird because Liz shouldn't really know anything about his missing gun. As far as Detective Ryan knew, Liz shouldn't know anything at all, so he decided to ask her a few more questions, and all of a sudden, specific Liz got very, very vague. Just when you think this case can't get any more batshit bananas than it already is, it does. On December 5th, so the next day, Liz forwarded some harassing messages to the detectives claiming they were from Amy. Later that same day, at 6.40 p.m., police were called to Big Lake Park in Council Bluffs, Iowa. There, they found Liz sitting on the ground near the driver's side of the only car in the parking lot. I shit you not, this woman had a gunshot wound to her left thigh, which she claimed happened while she was walking alone in the park. Well, sort of alone. Liz told officers that Amy had come up to her, told her to lie down, and then proceeded to swear at her before shooting her. So her story is that she's alone in this park, crazy person comes up to her, says lay down, says a bunch of bad words, and then shoots her in the leg. Anywho, very believable story, obviously, because why wouldn't Amy know exactly when and where in this empty 191-acre park Liz would be? Nevertheless, when someone accuses another person of shooting them, police have to look into it, so they headed to Amy's house in Omaha. When she opened the door, she was met with law enforcement officers pointing their weapons at her. Thankfully for Amy, it became pretty clear pretty quickly that she didn't shoot anyone. She had been at home with her toddler and her car was still cold to the touch. The officers who responded to Liz's shooting were not the detectives investigating Carrie's case. 
but when they caught wind of it, they smelled the bullshit. Detective Ryan told ABC News, I found it highly suspicious that the day before, she felt the need to tell me that Dave's gun had been stolen and less than 24 hours later, she is shot. It was pretty quickly determined that most likely Liz Gollier had shot herself because burning her rental house down and killing her pets hadn't been her rock bottom. Apparently, rock bottom has a basement. The investigation into Carrie's disappearance continued with the December 4th download of Liz's phone. While sifting through the data, the digital forensics administrator found that Liz had created dozens of email accounts using different variations of Carrie's name, and all of those messages sent by Carrie after her disappearance, as well as those from Amy, could all be traced back to Liz through IP addresses. He also found that Liz had been using an app where she could schedule messages to be sent at a later time or date. That filled in the blank of how she and Dave could be sitting on the couch together and both of their phones start blowing up with calls and texts. In the end, our digital forensics hero estimated that Liz had dedicated 40 to 50 hours of each week to pretending to be Carrie. It had quite literally become her full-time job. In mid-December, detectives Jim and Ryan officially brought Liz in for questioning. The plan was to make Liz think they believed her about Amy shooting her and then ask Liz to help them get Amy to tell them more information about what happened to Carrie. I guess in Liz's mind, if Amy shot her, she probably killed Carrie too. Liz is dumber than a bullfrog trying to lay an Easter egg, so almost immediately, detectives started getting emails from Liz, which she claimed were from Amy. Several of the emails contained confessions to Carrie's murder, the arson of Liz's home, and the shooting of Liz in the thigh. Because why wouldn't the woman who Carrie claims shot her in the park put a bunch of murder confessions in writing? The confessions were as eloquent as Liz's fake texts and Facebook updates, and according to court documents, the confessions provided various and oftentimes inconsistent details about Carrie's murder. The few details that always stayed the same were that Carrie had been stabbed in her car and her body was then wrapped in a tarp and burned and disposed of in the garbage. The confessions always stated that after the murder, Amy posed as Carrie and visited her home. One email even gave precise details about the interior of Carrie's house. Another email described the yin-yang tattoo on Carrie's left thigh, which fake Amy said was proof that she wasn't quote-unquote lying about offing that crazy bitch. That tattoo, however, had never been described to the public. Unfortunately, with all of that, it still wasn't enough and Street Tears Liz was still out in the world being fucking nuts. In late January or early February of 2016, Dave moved back in with Amy. That really seemed to piss Liz off because a week later, she called the police wondering why Amy hadn't been charged for shooting her and, you know, all of the other stuff like homicide. Detectives told Liz that they couldn't arrest Amy until they had specific information only the killer would know. The trap setting is so good here and Liz took the bait every single time. Shortly after that phone call, more confession emails from Amy were sent to the detectives repeating the details of Carrie being stabbed in her car. 
Believing that something did happen in Carrie's vehicle, her SUV was processed again, but this time, crime scene techs removed the cloth seat covers. Underneath, they found a large red stain on the passenger side seat foam, and testing later determined that that was Carrie's blood. What's interesting about that, though, is the blood was on the passenger side. It was Carrie's SUV, so you would assume she would be in the driver's seat, so what happened prior to the murder that she wound up in the passenger seat? Did Liz confront her and force her to get into the vehicle and hand over the keys? Honestly, we don't have that information, but I felt like it was a big enough question that it was worth asking here. With the blood evidence they now had, detectives didn't think Carrie was simply missing anymore. They believed that she had been murdered. Knowing years had passed since it happened, detectives reached out to the Omaha Police Department and cold case homicide investigator Schneider joined the investigation. Schneider brought Liz in for questioning and presented her with all of the evidence collected by Jim Ryan and our digital forensics hero, but Liz played the dumbest of all dumbs and denied even having access to the internet at all in 2016. It didn't matter how dumb she was, though, because while he was feeding bullshit to investigator Schneider, detectives Jim and Ryan were busy executing a search warrant on her apartment. There, they found a black and white floral shower curtain that matched the one purchased with Carrie's debit card right after she was murdered. What a coincidence. On December 22nd, 2016, Liz was finally arrested and charged with first-degree murder. If there was a first-degree murder, it feels like this case should qualify, but she was later also charged with second-degree arson for the fire she set to her own home, killing her pets. In a strategic choice, she chose a bench trial. Liz's defense attorney later explained to ABC News that they opted for this type of trial to speed up the process, aiming to have the case resolved before any potential discovery of a body. That makes zero sense, seeing as explaining things to a judge and explaining things to a jury takes the same exact amount of time. You have the right to a speedy trial, whether it's a jury or a bench trial, and the only time difference would be jury selection process for not having to do that. This case did not get the coverage it should have, though, so finding an impartial jury likely would have taken, at most, a couple of hours. But go on. The investigation into Carrie's murder did not stop as the prosecution was prepping for trial. One prosecutor told ABC News, This was by far the most difficult case I have ever tried. Most homicides are dark. This one was bizarre to the point where it would take some convincing to make somebody believe that it actually happened. There's no way that someone would let their dog die in a fire that they started. There's no way that someone would shoot themselves in the femur, but Liz would. In February of 2017, Dave stumbled upon a tablet that Liz had used during their relationship. And while no current files were found on the SD card, our digital forensics hero managed to recover over 13,000 deleted photos and text messages. According to court records, among the photos on the SD card were several images from different angles of what seemed to be a blue and gray or silver tarp. Another showed a flesh-colored object with a yin-yang symbol resembling Carrie's tattoo. And another photo displayed a flesh-colored object featuring a Chinese symbol. Carrie had a Chinese symbol for mother tattooed on her left foot, and this symbol in the photo eerily matched her tattoo. A forensic pathologist examined the photo of the Chinese symbol and determined that it was part of a human foot. 
The pathologist observed signs of decomposition, but couldn't determine the duration of the decomposition from the photo alone. Not only had Liz killed Carrie, she had kept her body somewhere where she could take photos of it, and she did take photos. Photos of the tarp she used and the tattoos on Carrie's body. In May of 2017, Liz's bench trial began. The prosecution theorized that Liz was obsessed with Dave and her intense jealousy led her to kill Carrie. Seems pretty on point. They portrayed Liz as a malicious woman who murdered Carrie and then proceeded to torment numerous people over several years. The prosecution said that the emails sent by Liz, posing as Amy, describing Carrie's murder were actually Liz's own confessions. They further argued that the arson of Liz's home was part of her plan to both cover up Carrie's murder and frame Amy for the crime, though I might argue that Amy was a wrench Liz didn't know she was going to have to dodge and kind of came up with all of this on the fly, but we only know what we know. According to KETV, the defense argued that the prosecution's evidence was purely circumstantial and they legitimately expected a sitting judge to think that meant anything. They highlighted the lack of a murder weapon, eyewitnesses, or Carrie's body. While they acknowledged Liz's odd behavior, they contended that this evidence did not definitively prove her guilt. The defense admitted that the blood in Carrie's car belonged to her, but emphasized that no one knew when or how the blood got there. The defense did not present any of their own evidence, of course, nor did Liz testify because that would be insane. On May 24th, the judge found Liz guilty of first-degree murder and second-degree arson. Three months later, she was sentenced to life in prison for murder and another 18 to 20 years for the arson in case her ghost ever wanted to be free. Liz appealed her conviction and sentences but failed miserably. Liz is currently serving her sentence in the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women, where she will be until the end of her time and then another 18 to 20 years for good measure. For photos pertaining to this case, check out Carrie's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there today at noon Eastern where you go live with me and talk about today's case and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime where for just two whole dollars a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. We are officially at the end of this episode, which means it is time to share a view that made my entire day. This one is from Catfish Laugh, uh, and it says, I love Heather so much for so many reasons. <sighs> love you too. She makes my Virgo heart happy with getting straight to the point without losing the important details and has all the sarcastic sass I could ever need. Never stop being the best. Okay, ma'am. My Sagittarius heart loves your Virgo self. Love you so much. Thank you so much for being nice for literally no reason. You didn't have to do that, and you made my entire day. I love you so much. If you have made it this far, welcome to today's hot take brought to you by nothing I'm going to say is controversial. I don't know that there is a single soul on this earth who wouldn't agree that Liz is one crazy son of a bitch. What in the hell happened to you where you felt like Internet Dave was the only man in the world and you would kill for him and burn for him? The dedication to the psycho craft here was out of this world. And can you imagine the epic shit she could have accomplished if she put that kind of work ethic into anything that normal people do? You know, like literally working. 
The whole thing was clearly premeditated as fuck. As early as six days prior to Carrie even going to stay with Dave, Liz was calling her house and blocking her number. How did she even get her number in the first place? It was a landline that she called, so I would guess she maybe Googled Carrie and hoped she got the right number, but how did she even know who to Google? I highly doubt Dave was like, I can't talk right now. I'm on a date with a woman and here's her full name, first name and last name. Please stop calling. Okay, bye. Um, Maybe she creeped his Facebook friends list and figured it out. I don't know. It's nuts, period. It's all it's all bananas. Bitch is bonkers. She deserves prison, the forever kind, under the jail. What you got? I don't know. Whatever. I'm sure she'll haunt that jail one day during her extra 18 to 20 years. Okay, love you, bye.